This episode of Future Construct is supported by Applied Software. We would like to thank them so much for supporting us. Uh, Applied Software is really on a mission to transform industries. They empower their clients and champion innovation with real world expert consultants. So to reach them, you go to asti.com, that's A-S-T-I.com, and please tell them that we at Future Construct and BIM Designs sent you. Thanks so much. Hi, welcome to the Future Construct podcast. I'm your host, Amy Peck. We have a fantastic guest today. It's Todd Lewis, who is a VP at Prologis Ventures uh, and also was a venture partner at UPS and ran the accelerator program there. And Prologis is investing in the future of real estate and logistics. So I think that's a really good combination for the future. Welcome, Todd. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So just tell us a little bit about your history. Um, You were at UPS for quite a while in in a few different roles, all related to sort of startup and investing. And then uh, then tell us about what you're working on now. Yeah. So I'll I'll go go back as far as I can. So started with UPS uh, about nine years ago. Um, And to your point, working with entrepreneurs, I wore many different hats um, while at the company, um, from BD to marketing to um, standing up innovation programs for the company. Um, And then most recently for the last about four years ago, I was brought in to rebrand and rethink venture capital for UPS. Um, So rethinking the way that we deploy, deploy venture capital and the way that we thought about making investments to better the enterprise and our customers um, and prepare ourselves for the future of commerce. So um, I would, about six months ago, uh, I took a leap of faith and joined the Prologis Ventures team um, who I had been working with and had a longstanding relationship with for years. I've known Will O'Donnell and his team um, <clears throat> for a long time. They started about five years ago, um, all investing in um, kind of real estate technologies uh, as it pertained to kind of three key sectors. So you had kind of the supply chain world, you had kind of the, the built world, so construction, real estate tech, and then the, the um, kind of inside the four walls. So your, your smart building kind of technologies. And so there was a ton of overlap between what I was looking at and working with at UPS, although admittedly at UPS, we were a user. Um, so a lot of the technologies we looked at was like, you know, how could UPS by being on kind of the tip of the spear, take advantage of these emerging companies um, in the best possible ways and then drive a tremendous amount of value for those founders. So at at Prologis, a bit unique because our tenant base includes the likes of Amazon, Walmart, Target, Home Depot, XPO, UPS even. UPS is the eighth largest client. Um, And and coming from the UPS world, I come in, you know, obviously with a customer's perspective. So uh, it's, it's fruitful in that, it was so synergistic in what we were looking at, the types of companies, why we were excited about certain companies. Um, and ultimately now that I'm here, how it stands to, to, to reshape the future of real estate in, in, in kind of the logistics sector as we know it, right? Because some of these technologies are um, disruptive in their own right for, from, a, from an operation perspective, um, but they're also um, quite leading in, in how they could impact real estate as we know it today. So, uh, so yeah, there's a, there's a ton of 
amazing companies in our portfolio today. We've got about 28 investments um, under our belt. We're a series A plus type investor, um, though I would argue that we're series agnostic. Um, we're really investing in companies when they're ready at the right time that we can drive value for them and then vice versa. And that we believe we can help either accelerate the growth of our, our tenants and, and kind of transform our discussions away from just being a traditional landlord into a much more meaningful collaborative relationship with those partners. So, yeah. That's great. And it seems very synergistic. So I think that's, that's uh, you, you've, made, you've made a great career move. So let's talk about some of the companies that you've invested in. And, you know, I, I know it's, I know you want to always, you know, favor all the children equally, but are there some that you're very excited about? Well, they are all my babies. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I would argue, you know, we've done some recently um, that I am very proud of. Um, We just made an announcement with a group called Baton, who from a, from a kind of logistics perspective and what they're doing for kind of the first and final mile in the long haul sector is, is unbelievable. Um, their digital platform kind of enables it kind of trims. So if you think of logistics and how it supports commerce and in, in our, in our real estate, right. Industrial real estate, um, on the tail ends of, of the legs, you have this tremendous inefficiencies, right? So, so, so all this downtime that gets, it goes against the clock for these drivers, right? And that's time away from their families. It's time away from the companies that they're supporting. Um, and ultimately, you know, the Baton platform enables them to kind of trim those tails, so to speak. So um, I know that's super high level, but it's- No, but, it's a, but you, I get the concept, you pass the yeah. Baton, right? It's like a relay race. Yeah, exactly right. So, so they do, you know, they kind of like they, they digitally enhance these drop lots. Um, and it's, it, it's brilliant because it supports all sorts of growing sectors like AV, uh, autonomous vehicles, and then electric vehicles and um, kind of the future state of what it will look like to maybe even interact um, with, with an industrial real estate. So um, super exciting, exciting work um, over there. I would say one of the things that I've been, because I've, you know, coming in six months ago, um, I had a, an opportunity to really take a deep dive, look at the portfolio and kind of find where the strengths lie. And so it, I, I, would, I would say at Prologis Ventures specifically, one area that we are so excited about is kind of our labor strategy as a company and finding new ways to help our tenants um, streamline their labor efforts. And that whether that be safety, upskilling, retention, or, or even talent acquisition. Um, if you look across our portfolio um, of tenants, it, it as a company, the the number one resounding you know kind of feedback that we receive is is like, look, it's so hard to get talent, right? Because we're competing against everyone else, right? Everyone on the planet wants the same pool of talent that we got to draw into, and so for us, from an investment perspective, looking at technologies that can enable maybe not the top one, two, three clients of ours, but the bottom, and I, I don't even call them the bottom because I think it's unfair, but the, the 4,700, you know, partners of ours that could leverage technologies like this to give them staying power, to help them grow using the same footprint. Um, I think it's a tremendous effort. And I was very excited to see, um, if you look in our portfolio, we've got Flexi, who's unbelievable. You've got um, Kinetic, who I had worked with at UPS, uh, which was just by happenstance. So it's super exciting, actually, and even through Luke um, over here on this team. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I'd say the labor strategy 
was one area from an investment perspective that I got very excited about. And then we're, I would say future state, some of the areas that we care about and that we're looking at from a, from a commerce perspective, we care deeply about transportation logistics. Um, there are so many inefficiencies that, that our customers could, could solve for um, should they be empowered with the right platforms and with, with the right tools, right? A lot of our, our partners are, are leveraging legacy systems and even coming from UPS, right? We were no, um, as, as forward thinking as the company was, some of our backbone in technology was still highly outdated. Um, and now I look at, at our tenant base here at Prologis and I think, you know, the power that we could bring by finding some of these nuggets early um, helping them roll out in and amongst our tenant base um, is tremendously valuable. So things like looking at short haul and drayage type technologies that can help even from a network perspective, from building to building and from port to building, um, those types of, of services, you know, increasingly more impactful um, in the coming years. So we're, we're excited about that sector and we'll certainly be making a, a couple future bets there to, to hopefully help again, empower our base and, uh, and bring that technology to light. I would like to thank the team at Applied Software for supporting this episode of the Future Construct podcast. With solutions for really any modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering their clients and being the champions of innovation with real world expert consultants. They have a comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing with a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. So with software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered for all of your workflow needs. And BIM Designs is proud to be a client and partner of Applied Software. So you can reach them at asti.com, it's asti.com. And please let them know that we here at Future Construct and BIM Designs sent you. So one of the challenges, you know, in the investment realm is, you know, you don't want to be too early. You certainly don't want to be too late. So how do you balance this, you know, real kind of disruption to this, this industry with what can you do today and then you know that that will put you on a path to success using some of this future tech. How do you how do you balance that? I mean, or is, is there an algorithm for that? Oh, it's such a good question. <laughs> uh, it's such a good question because as you think about this, is like a fundamental. Like you have to bake it down to its core, right? Of fundamentally, who who are you as an investor? What are you trying to accomplish? And I think a lot of times you see CVCs like ours, corporate venture capital groups, who kind of look and dress like an institutional investor, right? And, and that's ultimately, that's not our strength. And, and, and I'm going to answer your question in such a roundabout way, I apologize, but it's, you know, for us, it really wasn't about, hey, are we a series B investor, right? Because we want to like, we want to focus on their growth. It, I say that we're series agnostic because it truly depends on the technology and what we want to get out of it and how we want to leverage their platform. And that's, it's a readiness question. So if you look at like, and I'll give an example, great example, UPS, when we were looking at autonomous vehicle technologies and platforms, there were 20 players at the time. And now there's a, you know, there's, there's a handful still, still thriving. Um, and at the time it was all about, well, how do you leverage, like who's ready for these investments? 
Well, those are all series D investments because the amount of capital and time and R&D that went into getting those technologies ready, you're just now seeing the likes of like too simple IPO last Wednesday, which was extremely exciting. You know, we had at UPS invested in them, but they still don't have OEM sanctioned off the line trucks. So even then it was kind of a question of like, when is the right time? And, and if you fundamentally just fall back on like the value set, like what are you trying to get out of it? And what are you trying to, like, how can you help those founders? You start to settle into this, especially as a corporate venture capital group, where does our strengths lie? So we have a program, a platform at Prologis called Essentials. And it was one of the most, it was actually one of the reasons I joined the company. I was so excited about the prospects of having a marketplace that extended beyond just being a landlord, that truly brought services and capabilities and procurement level decisions to our tenant base. You know, when you move in, static racking is a thing, right? But you might, you might need a facility in Tallahassee, you might need one in San Francisco, and, but you need racking in both. And you're, and you're working with hyper-regional type players to go secure those, um, those assets. So Essentials is our platform. It's our response to being able to provide value-added services beyond the lease. And from a startup perspective, now you start to think of like, okay, now you're a venture capitalist. And so what are you going to do with that tech? So what we can do is we can go out and invest in companies who are ready and or right on the cusp. They've got a great vision, highly aligned with what we believe a value stream could be for our tenants and in solving major um, problems that the industry might face. And then at the right time, we can pull them into our essentials platform and help broadly roll that out to our tenants. And it's such an excellent way to A, transcend the dialogue, right? Again, from being just like, hey, you've signed a lease, I'll see you in seven years, right? Into a, hey, it's not about give me the shopping list for what your facility, you know, characteristics need to look like. It's what do you want it to achieve? And that's a different conversation entirely. And that's why Essentials is such a unique offering for Prologis. So I, again, I, it's from a timing perspective, it's all about the type of technology, if it's like transportation visibility, like a visibility platform throughout the entire supply chain for everyone to look and see. Well, that's probably not an emerging cone. It's not like a seed stage investment that we'd go out and, and find. It, it might be something that's more on the, the later stage. So again, it's, it's technology dependent and sector dependent, um, but it really comes down to where you, where you can add value and when. And I think that's a that's a very important strategy because I I do think there are VCs out there who shall remain nameless who are just you know they're in their lanes they have their little parameters and it's like if you tick the boxes and they literally do use you know software that has this algorithm that sort of weaves through their deal flow to pick out the ones that that meet those parameters and I like the idea of you know, do, do you fit? Can we help you as opposed to, all right, you've ticked all these nine boxes. So I think that's a, that's a great strategy and we'll serve you going forward for sure. And I, I'd be so remiss if I didn't backtrack just to say we're so hyper-focused on our customers' needs. And that like, it's, it's like ingrained in every day-to-day -day activity that we have on the venture team. And even as a company more holistically, we're, we're obsessed with what our customers want and what they need. 
right? And we're like in the hunt for the perfect real estate to, to fit all of their, their wants and desires, right? Um, and so, so much so that from a venture team, we're a bit privileged in that we actually get to work. We, in many cases, if it's a technology that's highly technical, we'll work hand in hand with our, our most valued customers to define what problems they want to solve. And then we'll use that insight to go out and make investments that we can then bring back to those tenants. And so that's what like, it's so powerful because we're not just benchmarking everyone equally. We're not a generalist, nor should we. We're, we're prologists and we, we should have critical insight based upon our interactions with our tenants to understand where the future of commerce is going to head and, and make bets accordingly. So I, I, would, I would preface all of our, our deals with the fact that we don't just go out and, and make deals and project where we think our customers will need support. We legitimately work with them to understand what they need. And we have one of the best customers, customer-led teams on the planet um, that help us kind of gather that insight. So, yeah. That's great. Well, when, when Prologis does their Super Bowl spot, they need to have you be the star saying, we're Prologis. That was perfect. Like the intonation and everything. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> so, so let's talk a little bit about, um, you, you know, you talked a little bit about, uh, you know, autonomous vehicles, drones, those are, you know, got drones coming, that'll be part of the, you know, that will be part of the supply chain. Um, how far out are you thinking on, on those? And what are, you know, what are some of the inherent challenges that you're finding today? I mean, the promise is fantastic, right? But the, the, the practical elements are challenging on a number of levels. Well, phenomenal question, Amy, um, as I should expect. Uh, that's, and I could speak today's uh, on the topic. I am, I would argue like to answer your question very pointedly, when? when are these technologies going to start becoming prevalent in our world, in the real estate world, in industrial real estate? And I would argue sooner than you'd think. Um, I've had the privilege of sitting inside um, many different AV cabs and it's there. The technology exists. It is operating today, um, driverless entirely. Um, they, now they will have safety drivers inside those in, inside the vehicle itself. Um, but uh, you know, we're in a privileged position in that the real estate that will support the future kind of logistics supply chain of tomorrow is being built today. And so from an AV perspective, very unique because you have some really large AV companies who are just now starting to have real estate needs, right? They need hubs. They need a network that can support their AV systems as they roll out over the next five to seven years. Um, and I think Prologis is uniquely positioned to capitalize on that because, you know, we understand, uh, we understand real estate just about better than anyone, I would argue. Um, but more importantly, there's nuances, there's details inside AV that make it highly unique to any other real estate, right? It's not just a truck stop. These are not service depots that you can just put down anywhere, right? AV systems have these like fundamental components and facets of the technology that like, it's a real estate problem. So, so if you think about it, like one of the things that just total aha moment is you start working with AV companies. You're like, well, what is it that like, what's, what's one of the driving factors? Like, what do you think we need you guys? It's like, well, we need, you know, we need huge data pulls because we need to pull information off of our systems. Right. And I'm not, this is nothing public. 
or, or this is all public, right? Um, in that, as you can imagine, these supercomputers that are located on-prem on the, on the trucks themselves need to get that information off. And to do it all via the cloud is, is kind of like, well, yeah, that, of course it should work that way, but it's really expensive and it's really hard to imagine that that's just going to happen all the time. So, you know, you think of the real estate, you're like, okay, well, now it's becoming a bit more nuanced and it's, it's kind of a slice of the pie within the slice of the pie in that, okay, it needs to have like huge fiber running into the facility. And now all of a sudden you start to think like, where could you put these things? And like location, like that one of the larger challenges in AV in general is, you know, unprotected left-hand turns, right? So can you make a left-hand turn without a stoplight, right? Because the computer has to understand what's coming from the left, what's coming from the right. It has to have full visibility in all directions. And, and that's a really hard problem to solve for a computer. For you and I, we can take calculated risk. We can start to nudge our way out and we can kind of kind of sort of naturally signal to the folks coming from the left, hey, I'm going to turn and you're going to stop because I'm a truck and you're a car, right? But you have to do it safely. And so it's like, there's unspoken rules in driving that, that you would have to think. Now, fundamentally going back to the real estate, that again is a real estate problem because you have to think about where you can put these sites to accommodate for features like that that just make it more usable and more friendly to those AV companies. So um, we're very excited about that space. How it could impact future real estate becomes incredibly interesting to us as you think about now all of a sudden transportation as an asset class, right? And you can just start dropping in an asset that can run a 24 seven, um, you know, kind of kind of milk run back and forth, facility to facility. And if they're electric, you know, today that the range is gonna be one of the limiting factors, but as battery technology percolates and continues to, to, to grow, you're gonna see these things get farther and farther apart. And then you question, all right, well, if I can run 24 seven lanes, what does that mean for my real estate? Does it mean that my buildings can get a little farther away from core or at the same time, they're being tugged closer to consumer. So it's a fascinating question. One that we're super excited about. Um, it's coming very soon um, in the sense that these AV hubs, if you will, um, and kind of mobility centers are going to be, uh, I, I would say over the next two to three years, um, a very hot commodity. They're going to be, you're going to see them pop up all over the place. And I think early days you can probably see, companies try and take ownership of each site, but in the future, it might be, you know, you, you're just be looking for a service center that might have the capabilities of servicing EVAV, you name mm -hmm. it. Yeah, I think it's really fascinating. I think it, it wires into a lot of the things that, you know, I look at in the immersive technology space, especially around the AR cloud, as you think of, you know, we are building this infrastructure of a global digital twin so that you're not actually having to parse massive amounts of data on the fly, you can really just focus on the anomaly of like, you know, the, the overpass is there, you know, the sidewalks there, you know, the lamppost is there. Uh, what don't you know about and, and, and focus on that. Uh, we're still, you know, again, it's all sort of inching forward together. And I feel like you're right. I feel like we're kind of at this apex um, and it'll be interesting. It's, it'll, it, it'll really open the flood, the floodgates. Yeah, and, and on the drone side, it's no different. Um, you're going to start seeing companies with, with drone delivery. I mean, at UPS, one of the first flight uh, 135 certified companies on the planet, um, drone delivery is a thing. It's happening today from hospital to hospital, and it's saving lives. Um, I don't know, you know, people, people think of drone delivery, and they're like, oh, okay, I'm going to have a 
roll of toilet paper delivered via drone. And that's probably not the case, right? There's not every- The, the burrito, the sky burrito. Yeah, the sky burrito, right? <laughs> Which there's probably a place for that, right? I'm not gonna discount oh, there's the totally, burrito. There's totally yeah. a place for that. <laughs> yeah, 100%, but that's not like day one. It's not gonna just sky burrito out of, out of nowhere. It's going to be, you know, very tactful entry into a meaningful market. You know, you saw like, I'll give a perfect example. And I, I think of my dad in Michigan and kind of the southern part of the mitt, who's, who's admittedly about 30 minutes away from the nearest pharmacy. Well, as he gets a little older, I would love to think that in the middle of a snowstorm, acclimate weather, it doesn't matter that he could have, you know, his, his medications delivered via drone. I'd love to see a world like that because it's, it's, a, it's a need for, for kind of a niche market. Um, but it's one that serves a critical purpose. So when people think of like, oh, drones flying over the sky, they're delivering every single thing you buy on Amazon, it's, it's not gonna be the case. But when you think about seeing a drone and you is instantly start to associate it with something that's important, right? A high critical good, you start to think like, okay, that could be going to save someone's life, right? And so that's why like the medical component of its entry, and you'll see a lot of the drone companies are starting there and rightfully so, right? If you want, regulators to support your growth, especially the FAA, no better way than, than the top that you can go save some lives in the process. So I would say that too is, is something that you're gonna see come to fruition much sooner than uh, later. So, so how, do, how does the real estate figure into the airspace with drones, right? Because you're, you know, you're in, you've got your, your lanes, right? You're gonna have your drone lanes, just like you have the FAA has their flight paths now. But then at some point, you know, I, I saw one company that was doing, uh, you know, these uh, rooftop, uh, you know, drone mechanic sites, right? So they were all, you know, they were on top of these roofs all over the country. How do you see that evolving? And how is, how are, are you know, the sort of drone delivery going to evolve that piece of the market as well? Yeah. So this is, we spent a ton of time and I mean a ton of time on drones before I left UPS. And when you and I think of a drone, we are thinking of Best Buy, Mavic drone, quadcopter, little guy, right? Just going up in the sky, flies around, comes back. And then, and then you start to think, okay, we'll, we'll make it just a little bit bigger and, and we can get like a five pound package on that thing. Right. Um, and fundamentally, that's kind of how everyone thinks of drones as, as their support to commerce is doing sub five pound package delivery within a five to 10 mile radius, right? It, it's kind of like, you know, the vertical takeoff and landing, it can fly beyond as far as you can see it, BB loss is what they call that. And then it can deliver and then come back. So it's kind of like free to determine how it, how it goes. But drone technologies is actually getting bigger. It's upsizing. And how it can impact real estate is unbelievable if you start to think about it carrying cargo. So at UPS, we were thinking about the network as a whole, and you start looking at proximity to airports as one of the leading criteria for why you would need a center in a given region, right? Or in a given proximity to an airport. And you start to weight that criteria. And then you start to think like, well, wait a minute, I need that close to the airport because when I'm running next day air volume, I'm running it from LA up to San Francisco. And so I've gotta be close enough to San Francisco so that when my air volume comes in, I can get a truck to offload it, get it to the center so it can be sorted and then out to my customers next morning, right? And now all of a sudden, if you can think of a drone network that can deliver from center to center and UPS just publicly announced 
their investment in a company named Beta, who is doing exactly this, who can go center to center and they're electric. And these things can carry, you know, I don't know, 250,000 pounds worth of cargo. All of a sudden your real estate dynamics start to change. The value of your, your proximity to airport is now less weighted because you can start to slide and see and reimagine the flow of goods, both internally in your own network and how you could leverage that from a growth perspective. So where am I going to put a new facility? Well, how does it interact with the other facilities if I'm leveraging this drone cargo network? It's a different question entirely. And so it, it does make you question kind of the locational value of, of um, these sites, which is why, again, we're so hyper-focused on what our customers are up to and what's exciting to them and what's kind of on the, on the bubble, uh, specifically because if their needs change, if it dynamically pulls them away from the metro area, that's incredibly important to us in our, in our capital employment teams. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what you need to do is you need to visualize the, the logistics in virtual reality, put an AI layer on the back end to see which routes are the most valuable. And yeah. then that's where you lead your, see, we just, we just we're going to converge all of this. Together. I love it. I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> so, so on the, uh, you know, kind of the, the, you know, future tip, you know, aside from some of the things we've talked about today, what are some of the things that you're looking at that are, that are kind of out there that we're not quite that clear on the value chain of yet, but, but you see that we're inching out, whether, you know, whether it's, how are we leveraging AI? Does blockchain fit into any of this for even just, you know, origin tracking? What are some of the technologies that are a little bit early right now for you, but you see that there's going to be some value? Uh, phenomenal question. I, and I keep saying that, so I, my apologies, but um, I would argue- I'll that, take it, I'll take it. Yeah, you take it. No. <laughs> Um, I'm going to say, let me answer that with autonomous robots. Like, and and I'll, I'll say that from within the four walls perspective. And, and I will give you some really good examples and, and kind of walk you through our line of thinking around that world and how we're investing in the space and how we hope to drive value to our tenants through an investment strategy centered around um, AMR systems. Um, an AMR system is an, an autonomous mobile robot. Um, for those of you that, that don't know. Um, and what these systems are is the intelligent edge-based compute thinking um, robotics that are entered into an operation that can execute a given task. And so this is a combination of artificial intelligence. It's a combination of machine learning and it's a combination of you know, top tier end roboticists um, solving incredibly difficult challenges. Because you have, in order to perform human-level tasks, you have to be able to execute and think like a human. You, to some degree, you have to be able to see like a human, which means you need depth perception, which means from a sensor perspective, the technologies have to be so advanced that you can actually synthesize depth and imagery and use 3D mapping inside a facility. But, but that only goes so far because now you have to localize, like, well, where are you? Well, you and I, we know. We're walking through a building. We know exactly where we are. For a robot, that's a much more challenging question. So um, to, I'll, I'll, now I'll zoom into like our strategy and I'll talk just a little bit about, and, and feel free to probe on any of these 
we've broken down our customers' operations by the problem sets that face like very ubiquitous across our portfolio. And if you think about a Prologis building, I'm gonna make an argument that probably 90 to 95% of them or 99% of them have dock doors, right? Which would allude to the fact that all of them need trucks loaded and unloaded, right? So there's a, there's a core fundamental operation that we need to solve as, as, a, as a sector, as an industry. Because your vehicles, you can automate a facility so much, but if you have to continue to throw people at a problem for every time a truck comes and docks, you know, you really, you're, you're, you have to start building the technology stack to support that. So trailer load unload is one of the most um, fascinating solves because there's kind of, you can, you can truncate it into two, two separate types. There's loose load. Um, which just means it's a bunch of packages that are kind of like Jenga together. And then you have our Tetris, if you will. And then you have the pallet, which is most, most of our world is palletized goods. So they're stacked um, or unstacked, but they're pallets and, and you're loaded in the truck. And so we focus, that's one of our key workflows that we love to bring a, an autonomous solution um, through an investment strategy through our essentials platform when, when that technology is ready. Um, so truck load unload is one. Um, palletization, depalletization. So you take these pallets off the truck, what do you do with them, right? So how do you, how do you break them down? How do you build them up? That's another area that's, that's super interesting to us. Um, we have kind of the goods to person picking. So think of a fulfillment operation, a great company that we've invested in that's doing this is Locust Robotics. If you haven't heard of Locust, um, think of a, a robot, an AMR system that can, that can go and it can help um, enhance your labor um, by, by basically following them around and it'll do totes and it'll help them do each picking. And then it'll bring those back to a consolidation area so that they can go out for delivery. Um, and they're brilliant. It's an absolute brilliant model because it's it, it much very core to our investment thesis is that a, they need to be infrastructure light. So any system we're looking at investing in, we want to be highly flexible by design. And then B, we want them to be um, human enablers. So we're not talking about investing in technologies that are designed to replace the human level workforce. That's not at all our strategy. Our belief is fundamentally that if you leverage technology the right way, you're going to be able to take your existing workforce and accomplish more and, and maybe even do so with the same exact footprint as you did yesterday. So you have load unload, you have palletization, depalletization, you have um, kind of pick, picked goods, um, then you have sortation, and then you have um, you have a couple more underneath that layer that that all can have these pointed AMR solutions. Now, what you might ask is like, well, isn't there just one robot that you can kind of think can do it all? And yeah, I'm sure 20 years from now there will be a system that could that could accomplish that. And there's humanoid robots today. We we did. We were looking at those when we were at UPS, um, to be fair, um, that can accomplish a very diverse set of tasks that you would normally design for you and I. Um, the problem is that technology is it's, it's very far out there, right? And to be fair, human level parity, like if you want to run an operation where you're moving 50 million goods a day, uh, you have to assume that those, those any type of new technology that you're going to bring in has to at least be as good as you and I. And I'm not that good. So it has to at least be as good as the button. 
So that's the, that's the trick. So for us, we think about that as kind of a core, like, again, kind of an underpinning thesis around what we want to accomplish is, can we find new technology that our customers could put into their operations that could help them grow, help them compete against some of the newer um, and more powerful players in the spaces that they're playing in, and hopefully give them the staying power they need to last the next you know, 50 years, right? Or, or to thrive and grow, um, that would be even better. That's great. No, and I think, I think there's something really important too to, to continue to express that you know, automation and, and robotics is, is very much about augmenting human ability. And, and even if you look at the things that, you know, where a robot or automation replaces a human, it's, it's a rote activity. And so I think we have to just look at it as the opportunity for that human to be doing something better, more valuable to, you know, to, to really play a larger role in the ecosystem. And I, and I love that you actually brought that up because that's a really important point that I think a lot of people miss. They're just like, oh, robots are taking over our jobs. No, they're just making us better and faster. Exactly. And, and if you think about it, if, if, you're, if you take a facility and you automate it and it still has 100 employees at the end of the day, but now it's doing twice the volumes as it was before, that 100 employees, those 100 employees that have now been upskilled with understanding how to manage AI-driven machinery, absolutely they're going to make more money, right? And absolutely their jobs are now protected because they have this, this skill set of, you know, <laughs> managing and orchestrating a robotic workforce or like enabling workforce, right? So uh, it, it does so much more than just replace people. Um, it's so, you know, against what we, we think the future will look like. Um, and hopefully that becomes the reality, right? Is that, is that truly they are complementary services and technologies that we can start throwing into these systems and operations. I agree. So let's, let's go way into the future. And this is a question I ask everyone. So project yourself 20 or 30 years in the future, and you get to bring with you, you know, any gadget or anything that would make your life better or make you happy it does not have to be based in reality. Uh, what would it be and what would it do? You know, I could have had days to prepare for this, that, that particular question. And I still think I'd, I'd be like, well, I could think of a million. Uh, I could think of a sleeping machine. I've got two young daughters at home. So it would sure be nice to be able to get, uh, you know. That would be good. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with an anti-aging device. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to say that because... All of the activities that I love to do today with my girls and that hopefully they one day will love to do with their children if they choose to have any, I would love to be able to do them at the same level that I'm able to do them today. So it's like super selfish in that I would love to have a device that could, that could keep me as active today, uh, tomorrow and 20 years into the future. Um, but I think that would be my answer. Yeah, I love that. I think that's great. You know, maybe, maybe, you know, Neuralink and some of these exo exoskeleton, um, uh, you know, projects that are, that are coming out, you know, they, they will all kind of converge to give us, you know, the mental acuity and the physical ability to be superhuman. We'll, we'll all be, you know, $6 million men and women. I think, I think of, uh, I think of two companies like Neuralink. So I'll be at least thinking that I'm younger. And then I think of the well, Sark exactly. world who puts me in an exoskeleton. So like, 
sure, it doesn't matter that, you know, I'm a little bit older. So yeah. And then I, you'll put your AR glasses on yeah. and there will be the young you. So, you know, you got it. You got it. We'll all be in a simulation, but we'll be a, the best version of ourselves in that simulation. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Annie. Anytime. <laughs>